0: hello and welcome to dance of the seventh daughter podcast dance of the seventh daughter is a virtual temple space centered around themes of the divine feminine sacred sisterhood goddess worship and community on top of this podcast dance of the seventh daughter provides an online academic blog an artist alley where we celebrate a different artist every month And a quarterly zine released for each season that shares ritual ideas, recipes, art, poetry, meditation, and so much more. It's time to enter the temple. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dance of the Seventh Daughter podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Blessed Yule, happy solstice. Last night, as the sun went down, we stood in the center, the center of the wheel. We were held in balance and then the sun rose. And now we are tipping back towards more sunlight after the darkest night of the year. And it's very exciting. First of all, it doesn't even really feel like Yule. There's no snow where I am in New York, which is wild. Um because there's no snow and like, yeah, it's kind of cold, but it's not like freezing. It doesn't even feel like anything special is going on. So I'm going to try and incorporate some Yule time feelings into my home since I can't get it outside. So we're going to talk about Yule. I'm going to talk about Yule quite a bit. Um, We're going to talk about the history of Yule, the Christianization of Yule, and we're going to talk about something known as Mother's Night, which I have only just encountered myself, and it's really interesting. And of course, it lends itself to the erasure of women and women's festivals and religious festivals celebrating female deities throughout history. That we're already aware of. If you've listened to even one podcast episode, then you know all about this. So let's get into it. So, what's Yule? Yule is a pagan holiday with origins in many European countries that predates Christianity. It was celebrated around today, the winter solstice, December 21st in 2022, if you are listening today, but there are a couple of variations on this. Some people say it lasted three days. Some people say it lasted 12 days. Regardless, ancient peoples huddled together around the fire in an attempt to lure back the sun. So maybe you had an inkling that there were pagan origins in Christmas, if you did, you are correct, you are right. And prior to this Christianization of Europe, we had all of these different festivals and celebrations um, and symbols of Yule that have been absorbed and are now being presented as Christmas symbolism and celebrations, things like yule trees and Yule traditions. So let's get into those. What are those? So, if you know anything about Norse paganism, heathenry, Vikings, all of that good stuff, then you're probably aware of things known as sagas, edas, um, and even, you know, any sort of other book poems and, you know, poetic idas, that sort of thing that exists that give us a glimpse into um, the life of kings of um, these ancient Scandinavian, what is now Scandinavia, ancient Scandinavian kings and warriors, poets, um, Viking battles, Viking travels, they give us a direct insight into what their movements were, where they went, who they interacted with, um, who they were praising, who was related to who, all of that sort of thing. And it's a first person account more often than not. Um, A lot of these um, idas, these poetic idas or sagas, are actually written sort of like diary, first-hand style. And then, of course, we have other accounts of people who were either um, told stories or they witnessed something else, the person doing something else. So it's really, really interesting information. And inside of these sagas and idas, we really get a... Um, an intimate look at the religious thought, spiritual practices, rituals, feasts, um, how governments worked and operated, all of that. We get these firsthand accounts into these ancient, um, I say ancient, I mean they are ancient to us. But these older <laughs> civilizations, but that's not all we have. So I I might have mentioned this, and I can't remember now, when I was talking about, um, you know, Mary Magdalene and Salome, I don't know if I got into a a big discussion on, um, quote unquote, temple prostitution. If I haven't, I will at some point. But a lot of ancient cultures across the globe also have books of law, books of records books of um, census records, they have lists of goods and items, and like, like cattle, uh, clothing, jewelry, possessions, unfortunately, people that they owned as slaves in these records when certain houses or families or whoever would go off to war. So they had a record of everything that they brought with them. Um, And then of course, there are books of law, we know this. But what's really fascinating about those sort of records as well, is that we see what sort of religious items and beliefs are existing and brought with these people wherever they go. So yes, while these might be laws, or they might be Uh, rules dictating when you take off because there's a festival, who contributed what to the feast, it tells us that a festival or a feast is happening. And it gives us dates. And it more often than not, tells us what the festival or feast is for. So I wouldn't discount um, historical records that seem mundane, and not related to religion or um, spirituality, because I could guarantee you, excuse me, I could guarantee you that you'll find a lot of information that actually is related to the gods, goddesses, rituals, and religious ceremonies in those texts as well. So we've got a couple of those. We have some ancient Norse sagas that speak to rule, to rule, speak to Yule. They definitely speak to ruling, but they speak to Yule. They mention Yule. Um, They also mention the 12 days of Christmas and all the various kinds of celebrations and rituals that would take place during this time. So Yule would typically begin with some kind of ritual animal sacrifice that then would be used in a major feast. The feast would feed the entire family, the village, the community, and it would also be offered to the gods. Now, we still have a big feast during Christmas, right? If you celebrate Christmas anyway. Our families gather, we cook traditional foods, we make more than we probably need, and everyone goes home with a plate of extras, unless you've got a bunch of teenagers probably. So we drink, we sing songs, we tell stories. And unlike the intentions And the reason for the season, in quotes, the celebrations haven't really changed that much. So it's our intention and it's our reason for celebrating that's different, that the way we celebrate actually really isn't so different. So um, something really interesting happened here. So as with the Christianization of many indigenous folk and pagan religions, the church and lawmakers have attempted to syncretize beliefs and celebrations. Now, syncretism is a wonderful thing to do if you don't want to revolt on your hands when you have conquered someone. So King Haakon the Good, who is not to be confused with Norway's current King Haakon, I believe he either reigned or he lived from 920 to 961, was actually a Christian king And what he did was very smart. He declared that Yule and a Christian holiday were to be celebrated at the same time in December. So Haakon did something smart, just like Alexander the Great did. So if you remember, um, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but the easiest way to Destroy a people and to rule a people and to govern them is to take away their religion and to take away their belief system, their foundational beliefs. A lot of times that could lead to revolt, lots of bloodshed, lots of death, war, battle. The smart thing to do, which Alexander the Great did perfectly well, perfect that we know of, right? We're here looking back. What I know that he did is that when he went into these new places that he conquered, instead of just doing away with their religious ceremonies and um, celebrations, he blended them and absorbed them and just started calling them something different. He started giving them the title of his own religion. Then, eventually, thousands of years later, here we are celebrating Christmas instead of Yule. So Haakon did something very, very similar. So his rule over Norway was considered unconventional because he didn't oppress the pagans who made up the majority of his kingdom. Instead, he allowed them to keep their celebrations, but added another one by law of the king. So it's also said that in order for a man to prove that he had been celebrating, because apparently Hawkon the Good required this, he required that every free man must consume a minimum amount of ale, approximately four gallons, and to keep celebrating as long as the ale lasted. So not only did Hawkon allow his people to keep their celebrations, he made the new holiday a fun drinking extravaganza who would complain about getting completely drunk having a feast and adding an additional celebration within your pre-existing holiday feasting yes well while ha- while what Hawkon did was very smart he also all but erased the pagan origins of yule But not completely, as we know. We still have our Yule trees, our Yule logs, our Yule wreaths, our ornamental decorations, our lights, our feasting. And we gather together to celebrate the warmth and the light in the middle of winter. We fight back against the dark and the cold with light and song. And on this winter solstice day, we welcome the return of the sun. On the blog, I say, as did the Romans, because another important syncretism took place. The Romans used to celebrate the return of the sun, S-U-N, right around this time, and that turned into the birth of the sun. So the birth of the sun, S-U-N, to the birth of the sun, S-O-N. So um, as I mentioned, a lot of this Christianization of the entire world took place. And this is how it sneaks up on us through language, through syncretism, through absorption, which eventually turns into erasure. Speaking of erasure, there is one thing I discovered very recently in my studies that I didn't know about. And it was mo or Mother's Night. So I saw a post recently from a contact of mine who runs a big Red Tent Temple sisterhood Facebook page. And she posted about Modernit or Mother's Night. And I said, what the hell is that? And so I started to do some research. And I was so surprised to discover that there's a completely unique feminine festival that kicks off Yule that I just didn't know about. And then I thought about it and I said, okay, am I really that surprised? No, because of the erasure of women's festivals, women's contributions, um, significant women throughout history, the goddess in general, I went, okay, this actually makes sense that I know nothing about this. So what is it? So Mother's Night was celebrated to show respect and appreciation for one's birth mother ancestral mothers, and goddess mothers. So there's actually a lot of literature pre-medieval and medieval that speak to Mother's Night and also leave little hints as well. For example, there's a book from the western region of Norway called Gullathingslog 7. I'm sure I didn't say that right, even being Norwegian. In this law book, remember how I mentioned before there are law books and other things that we're looking at? But in this law book, we see that Yule was celebrated, quote, for a fertile and peaceful season. We also see in the saga of Hakon the Good that Njord and Freyr were also hailed for peace and fertility during this time. So Mother's Night wasn't celebrated in December in every single part of Scandinavia. That's really important to mention because we always need to be looking at the origins of everything um, what has been erased, why, who did the erasing, and for whom, what has been synchronized or syncretized or combined, and for what purpose. So for many modern pagans and heathens, Mother's Night actually kicks off the Yule tide celebrations. For ancient Scandinavians and German peoples, however, there are a few options. So some celebrated during Yule whereas others celebrated near February and March. So the distinction here is that Yule often marks the Anglo-Saxon New Year, but it didn't always, and it doesn't everywhere. So we can also argue that Samhain is the New Year for many other people. So in other regions, springtime marked the New Year. So I think that's the difference here between um, are we doing it in December or are we doing it towards the end of February into March when we're looking at IMLC maybe because we're looking at who thinks the new year is when. So the thing about Mother's Night and why it's important that it's kicking off the new year is as follows. Mother's Night meant to highlight mothers as light and life bringers. Mothers were bringing us out of the darkness and into the warm and lighter realms. They are guiding us from darkness and accompanying us on our path towards wisdom and knowledge. I also think this can be seen as our mothers guiding us out of the darkness of the womb and into the light of life. This is important information because understanding that the new year marked the return of the light allows us to see why there are some geocultural distinctions between when Mother's Night would actually be celebrated. So I think it would be quite nice to celebrate Mother's Night at the start of Yuletide celebrations for a number of reasons. And here they are. Women often take on the majority of emotional, mental, and physical labor during the holiday season. Women often take on all of the above throughout the entire year anyway. Not all women are mothers, and therefore the traditional Mother's Day doesn't apply to everyone. Whereas I think a celebration of Mother's Night, even though it does have mother in the name, let me explain, can be expanded to include all women given the fact that it is also a celebration of ancestral mothers and goddesses and additional female divine beings. You could call it something else. You can call it ladies night if you want to. The the translation just happens to be mother's night. You can call it goddess night. That sounds nice. Um, I also think that there's a bit more inclusivity here in terms of queer peoples, because I might identify as a woman, but maybe I can't carry a child. Maybe I'm a mother through adoption. Maybe I am a man who's had a child. And I think that when you expand it, and it becomes something like goddess night, then it can include everyone. And my final point If you have difficult emotions around Mother's Day, for whatever reason that might be, I think that Mother's Night can provide a more religious or spiritual opportunity to honor ancestors, other mothers, female divinity, and the goddess. And I'll take a second to describe other mothers. So other mothers are literally mothers... I'm sorry, I, I just said that wrong. Other mothers don't have to be your mother. They could be a mother. But other mothers are other women who are not your biological mother, who have acted as a mother towards you. They could act as a mother towards a community, towards you personally, towards somebody else, whatever it might be. But they, um, they're really crucial to the community and they fill in that gap where your biological mother did not. So what goddesses did Mother's Night honor? So Mother's Night honors the Disir. So there are a couple of different names we could go with here, depending on the region. Are we in Sweden? Are we in Germany? Um, but I'm going to go with Desir and desir are best understood as ancestral mothers or female spirits or deities. So these spirits could even encompass like local spirits of the land, spirits of place, as long as they're feminine. A dis is a female deity or ghost, often associated with one's fate. So there's some linguistic stuff happening, right, that we should be aware of. And I think that this connection between dees and Desir is why other scholars, including myself, feel that honoring one's own ancestors during this time would also be appropriate, even if it's not honoring your mother. So there's also evidence that beings such as Filgia or Valkyries can be included under the Desir umbrella. And if you don't know what a Filgia is, it's, um, a spirit who usually takes the form of some kind of animal that attaches itself to your family line. And it often has to do with fate, just like um, the Dees do. So I think that's why they can fall under this umbrella as well. So there's an additional connection here that I was like, well, duh, once I started reading about it. There's the Christian holiday celebrating St. Lucia or Santa Lucia. Some scholars suggest that St. Lucia's Day, which is celebrated on December 13th, by the way, and is 12 days before Christmas, is actually a Christian holdover of Mother's Night. And I thought that was really interesting because St. Lucia is considered a light bringer. And that's what Mother's Night is meant to celebrate as well. And it's supposed to kick off the 12 days of Yule and St. Lucia kicks off 12 days before Christmas. So there's definitely room for more exploration here. I haven't um dived as deep as I would like to on this topic. But when you start to study religion through a feminist um viewpoint, you really start to see the connections come, to the, come together very quickly. Um, and, you know, based on like the majority of prior scholarship between myself and other feminist theologians, it's a known fact that women have been massively erased throughout history, but women have especially been erased from the religious, spiritual, and philosophical landscape. So, I implore you to dig deeper into Mother's Night and to maybe incorporate this into your own practice of Yule. And I just want to mention, too, that when we do get these representations of um, religious women, goddesses, ancient deities that happen to be divinely feminine. When we get modern-day representations of them, we're often getting like some bastardized version, or hypersexualized, demonic, or like old and wrinkly and therefore ugly and scary. And we actually have encountered the desir in recent entertainment days. So I didn't even put this together, and I watched this series front to back. But I don't know if any of you watch the Netflix series Merlin the more recent one, it actually featured the Desir. And in the series, the Desir were considered the oldest court for the old religion, and they were portrayed as the mouthpiece of the goddess herself. Um, There were three of them. So we've got another Trinity situation going on. Um, They were not just the court and the mouthpiece, but they were connected to fate, um, which would make sense when we're connecting it to court of some kind. Um, And they're portrayed as like old, ugly hags that wear dark cloaks, and they're really super scary. And I find that to be quite infuriatingly fascinating, because here we have um, what is supposed to be a beautiful and festive acknowledgement and celebration of the goddess, female figures in our own lives, um, female deities, ancestors. And it has been boiled down and boiled down and boiled down and bastardized throughout history to showcase women as ugly old crones. And that, that makes me angry. So I, again encourage you to reincorporate mother's night and the goddess back into your ritual practices um if you don't know who to call on if you have your own patron goddess that's a great start because this particular um festive ritual or ceremony or celebration and practice happens to be Scandinavian, I encourage you to maybe call on Freya or Frigga, Hell, Scotty. Scotty is talked about um, in great detail in the winter zine, so I hope you check it out. And others, maybe you make an ancestor altar. Maybe you cook your grandma's favorite meal. And you bring it to her if she's still with you. Maybe you honor the female spirits that might be in your home, spirits of the place, spirits of the land. Maybe you live in a place that has beautiful nature that you can walk through. Um, maybe you have plants that you tend and their, their life force feels feminine to you. Maybe you honor yourself. I think that's always a great place to start. And I think that when we look at ritual, especially when we look at goddess worship and um, divine feminine worship, I think the inclination often is to worship something outside of ourselves, which there's nothing wrong with that. I I think that's a beautiful, wonderful practice and I do it all of the time. But I also think we have to honor ourselves. I've spent um, a lot of time this year focusing on very external and outward problems and situations and things in my life. And it's taken a massive toll on my mental, emotional, and physical well-being. And any time that I go to maybe do something for myself, I, I pause And I think, oh, do I really have time to do this right now? Do I really have time to focus on this? I should be getting this work done. I should be cleaning the house. I have to do laundry. I have to do dishes. Um, I have a paper to write. I have two papers to write right now, by the way. (laughs) And I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not honoring the divine feminine within me. So maybe Mother's Night becomes Goddess Night. Maybe it becomes woman's night. Maybe it becomes whatever you want it to be in your own practice. You know, there's nothing wrong with taking something ancient and modernizing it to fit your current needs and goals. You know, I think that there is sometimes an inclination when it comes to worshiping the old gods that they have to remain Stuck in prehistory exactly the way that they once were. But humanity hasn't done that. Civilization hasn't done that. We haven't done that. I don't think the gods have to do that either. I think it is actually quite powerful to take these gods of old and bring them into our modern day lives. And I don't see anything wrong with honoring the goddess and honoring yourself. And honoring your grandma or your great aunt or a cousin or an other mother who was there for you when you needed them most. A sister, a friend, your cat, your dog, your plant allies, your herbs, your flowers, nature, a tree, the ocean. All of these things are incredibly valid to honor. And I hope you do so. But I do hope that you start with yourself. Call on your ancestors, call on yourself. Wield your feminine power like a torch, lighting the way through the darkness. When you craft the season, when you cook, when you clean, when you cleanse and celebrate this Yule season, remember the women who came before us and the divine feminine power that exists all around us. Thank you for listening. Blessed be. Happy solstice. Merry Yule. And happy fucking goddess night.